0: hello and welcome to the next episode of the newfangled lord podcast i'm actually going to stop numbering them one because i have now fortunately done enough where i've kind of lost track of the numbers and also to to maintain creativity of like maybe heidi makes sense to go after um jordana who i'm gonna have um and kind of maintain that flexibility but i am so pumped to have uh, Heidi Brown as a guest today on the podcast. It's kind of like having like a a celebrity on the podcast and Heidi's gonna like laugh and be like, that can't possibly be true. But um, Heidi's absolutely awesome. She writes a lot about how um, introversion is a superpower, um, which I absolutely love. And so we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about quiet attorneys and recharging and by the socratic method and law school in general but not just those things you know because that's just a part of who we are so Heidi, i'll turn it over to you to give a brief intro of yourself
1: okay great but speaking of celebrities i feel like i am starstruck being on this podcast with you and the fact that you mentioned jordana who is a superstar i love her so much um so in- to introduce myself i guess i'm glad you brought up writing i i am a writer i think i identify as a writer before anything else but i, mm. I teach law so i guess i'm a law professor um <laughs> i'm a recovering lawyer i was a construction litigator for really two decades and I also love to travel, I take boxing lessons, and I'm sort of an obsessed fan of the band U2, and I just saw them in Vegas twice. So that's me.
0: Wow, so did you see them in like the giant bubble sphere?
1: Yes, the how sphere. Cool,
0: how cool is that?
1: It was incredibly cool. And I went on opening night, so my friend and I were literally the, the first people to sit in the seats that we had tickets for. And then the second night, we were on the ground floor, and the, the sphere is just so immersive and overwhelming. Of course, I cried. I cried through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, of course, because you're you're an empath. So, I am. Um, I'm a you sensitive are, person. <laughs> at, at, as am I. Um, and you love to travel. So that must have been hard now with COVID to not be able to travel. So have you it, been able to get back to traveling?
1: Yes. In fact, that's so great that you brought that up because i traveled a ton before the pandemic and then when the pandemic hit and i couldn't travel i consider travel to be one of my four well-being pillars i mean i mentioned writing boxing lessons u2 stuff and travel and then i couldn't travel during the pandemic but i started writing a lot about travel so i went back through all my journals and all my photos i take a lot of graffiti and street art photos and i started writing a travel memoir when i couldn't travel which was really fun and that's my current creative project. But then the second that that academic year ended, so I I will never forget this, May 9th of 2021, I bought a one-way ticket to Croatia (laughs) because it was the first country that would let me in. And I waited, I got to Croatia, I waited 11 days and then I was able to get into Spain and I went to Tenerife in the Canary Islands for a month to write my last well-being book, The Flourishing Lawyer. And then Italy reopened, so I got back to Rome, which was my whole plan was to go to Rome for my 50th birthday, which was literally the weekend that New York locked down. So I couldn't go to Rome for my 50th birthday. But I waited a year, and it was worth it. So that was my seven weeks of travel adventure after the pandemic, or in the pandemic.
0: (laughs) I mean, Heidi, has anyone ever told you how cool you are?
1: (laughs) Thank you. I mean, what?
0: You you bought a A one-way ticket? Oh wait, No. We're all nerds. Here's the thing. Here's the thing is that we're all delightfully nerds in our own ways. You can be a nerd about sports. You can be a nerd about Dungeons and Dragons. You can be a nerd about the law. You can be a nerd about your favorite Netflix show, you know. And so I, I find it fascinating that we like to categorize ourselves as like nerd is somehow like uncool and other. But like nerd is like we're all nerds we're all we're all weird we're all weird and eccentric (laughs) you know in our in our own ways and so here here you are you identify as all these different things your well-being pillars so how did how did you come to discover these pillars
1: with with such
0: clarity it
1: took me a long time actually because i was always doing what everybody else expected me to do or or Trying to follow all the, these rules and advice and slogans and mantras that everybody else was doing, but none of that was working for me. I think you know from a lot of my research and my writing, I grappled with extreme performance anxiety through the whole 20 years of my well, first of all in law school, but then 20 years of being a litigator in the heavy-hitting construction industry, and it really wasn't until I started teaching legal writing. Um, now it's been 15 years. 15 years ago, some of my teaching overlapped with the last five years of my practicing law. Um, and I realized that my students, my best legal writing students, were also the ones who were the quietest in class and the ones that would confide in me in our one-on-one meetings that they were afraid of being cold called in their Socratic method classes or of trying out for the teams, moot court or trial advocacy uh, or going on interviews and things. So I started researching myself, first of all, because I felt like I couldn't help my students if I didn't understand what was going on with me in terms of why none of these things that everybody else was telling me to do were working, the fake it till you make it, the just do it, just practice and you'll be fine. So it was really through writing my book, The Introverted Lawyer, that I realized how much writing makes me happy, and and when I'm writing, when I have a project, I feel good. I, and I, I'm really good about setting up a disciplined system. I write best from 8 to 10 in the morning. And I just started doing that every day, working on that project. And then I put myself in boxing lessons, too, to help me with the kind of wrestling with the, the somatic or the bodily re- reactions to my stress and anxiety. And so piece by piece, I started realizing, OK, if I write every day for at least a little chunk of time, even if I'm super busy. And if I exercise, whether that's boxing, which is the hardest physical thing I've ever done in my life, <laughs> or running, I started running again. And if I did those two things every day, then everything else kind of fell into place.
0: Mm. And
1: then I am happiest when I travel alone. I travel alone a lot. and, and that, Well, you're an,
0: you're an introvert. So, I'm an introvert. I mean, it makes sense yeah. to travel alone. It does. Um, <laughs> then you don't have to abide by anyone else's what they want to do or how they want to do it and just kind of navigate your own way what serves you in that moment or in that day
1: that is so true i i I feel like i'm sort of an introverted rebel because i
0: (laughs) i love that term
1: being alone and but then when i was writing or as i've been writing this travel memoir each chapter was a different trip in which i'm I did something scary, not not really intending to set out to do something scary, but I realized the way that I got through it was by doing it by myself and not not being pressured into it by the group of people or peer pressured or going with the flow. It was my introverted rebel in me. (laughs) I kept wanting to try these things that freaked me out. And and so I learned a lot about that. And I realized how much travel, especially solo travel, really feeds feeds my soul.
0: In in a way that it allows you to experience discomfort in a way yes. in a way that resonates with you, um, and it drives meaningful action. And you're, I and think
1: you just summarized it perfectly. You yes. know,
0: and I think this is the point. A lot of times with being attorneys is like, well, why isn't this motivating you? Like this fear, you're not motivated. Like I'm not motivated by you know aggression or or conflict or arguing i've really been spending a lot of time around kind of this um kind of idea that a lot of people that get promoted to go to law school are like the arguer the person who's conflict oriented the loudest person and it's almost a surprise when people hear like well i hate conflict Like, you're an attorney. Like, I hate arguing. Actually, I'm a pretty poor arguer. And as a kid, like, my parents always knew, like, when I was up to something, my nostrils flared. Like, they knew, like, I'm horrible at it. And so, like, it's kind of like this narrative around these things of, like, what you should do. And then it makes you feel like, well, am I doing this wrong that I'm not? I'm not following the pack, you know, I'm not doing these normative standards of what it means to have success or uh, taking risk. I think there's a big thing right now in the legal profession is uh, attorney's um, relationship with risk. I think is all sorts of effed up. Um, Mm -hmm. We're, Uh, as a profession, okay, with taking a lot of unhealthy risks, drinking, I mean, in law school, taking, you know, Adderall, all this stuff. But the second you tell an attorney, like, hey, go take a yoga class, they're like, whoa, (laughs) what? No, I can't do that. So what do you you think about that? This idea of like, healthy risk, appropriate risk for you, and kind of just going for it, having outlets that you go for?
1: Oh, my gosh, so much packed into that that I want to I want to discuss first of all, but if, if your nostrils flaring is your tell of that, you know, that you don't want to have the conversation or that you don't like the conflict, mine is blushing. So, yes. you know, my entire legal career, I was super prepared for every performance event but when I kind of didn't believe what I was about to argue, or I didn't really feel like objecting to mm-hmm. the guy's question, just to make myself heard, my face would turn red. And the guys, most of the p- lawyers I was up against back then were men and they could mm-hmm. see this, you know, this girl like blushing in every deposition. It was so embarrassing. But it until I understood what was happening and th- my physical self and I, I resisted my blush. I was embarrassed by it. I was, I was self-conscious of it. And now I just realized, oh, well, it's just, I read this amazing book by this woman, Erica Hilliard, who wrote, she wrote a book called Living, Living with Shyness and Social Anxiety. And she wrote that a blush is life coursing through you. And when I read that, I thought, <laughs> that is awesome. Like, so now when I feel the blush, I mean, I can feel it actually right now. Like my face yeah. feels hot, but I feel like, oh, I'm alive. Yay me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the alternative.
1: It's better than the alternative. But but to your question about risk, I, I think that's kind of the whole I mean, you came up with this term, but the introverted rebel in me, I, I had I had to realize that the risks that I'm comfortable with are often totally different with the risks that other people are comfortable with. And that's that's great. And that's what makes us individuals. And and I think that's what we should be preaching or teaching, not preaching, but teaching in law school. That it is a different path for everybody. Not everybody wants to fight all the time and argue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of us want to solve problems. And the way we solve problems is by being quiet and thinking about the problem and then coming to the table with another person and trying to figure out how, how they function best and, and then trying to see where there's commonalities. But I agree with you that there were, I feel like there were unhealthy risks being projected upon me throughout my my legal career. I worked at three different firms, just really weird risks to be taking. But then the risks that I wanted to take, like take a completely different approach to trying to bring the parties to the table. The the people I worked for weren't comfortable with that. I mean, I wanted to take sort of the nice guy approach or the nice woman approach to <laughs> in a really, Resolve the the conflict, and that was just so foreign to some of the people that I worked for that they thought you can't write a letter in which you're trying to bring people together. That that's just how we do these things.
0: It's um. So my experience has been, it almost catches people off guard. Like it's there. It's like disarming, but in a way that sometimes it's like, well, what are you up to? Yep. And, and my experience has been who has the strongest reaction are baby attorneys, brand new attorneys have the strongest reaction. They're like, you're trying to trick me. And I'm like, I've had to tell a couple like in conversations, I'm not trying to trick you, like, I'm just showing up as me and there's no point for me to be an a-hole
1: right and
0: and you don't have to be that way either it's like i'm kind of setting the stage of you can you're having i'm giving you permission to be able to show up in another way in a way that's about seeking resolution uh, and talking about kind of building kind of that trust of like just commonality of humanity and many younger attorneys just think they can't be that way and i think part of it has to do with Um, like you said, the environment they're in part of it has to do with probably being exposed imposter syndrome. Um, and the counter to that is a lot of the older attorneys that have been doing this a long time, you act this way to them and some of the like most aggressive attorneys, man, you earn their respect because you didn't show up afraid to them. You didn't show up in a way where you're like, I'm going to try to fight fire with fire. And they're like, okay, I respect that. And so it's, it's been a uh, very, I guess, insightful revelation to me, of that. Hey, you can show up like you said, the nice guy approach, the being kind, um, really does work. And I, my hope is that more attorneys are discovering that, you know, your client even benefits from you being kind. And if right. your client's asking you to be like, you can advocate and be kind.
1: You absolutely can. There's a great article. Um, I think it's by a guy named Paul Kiernan. I got I I hope I'm getting the name right, but he he wrote an article about how if if you give yourself permission to be kind and practice law, you you get to set aside all that that slideshow stuff and all that energy that you're investing in being a jerk (laughs) and instead focus on the intellectual processing and you can actually move the case forward. And, and he was saying, you know, a lot of people would ask him, well, don't your clients expect, expect your lawyer to be like a pit bull. Although I feel like a lot of pit bulls are misunderstood too, but, um, you know, (laughs) yes, and we can explain to the client, you know, no, a lot of times you can accomplish way more intellectually if you're not so focused on the the vitriol and the anger and the conflict. Just because that's how we've, like, some of our, quote, role models in, in law school or in law practice might accomplish what they want to accomplish by being aggressive, we don't have to do that. And once you kind of set that aside and tap into your real persona, your strong, authentic, kind, but smart, persona you can i found that i can accomplish way more by being nice and smart and nice not not being a pushover but again it took me a really long time to figure that out and i had to really work on the physical side of of my fear and anxiety and and performance issues because if when if i was when i used to be so unaware of what was happening in my physical body it took control like the fight mm-hmm. play, or freeze response so i've had to work really hard to understand what's triggering that and then how to kind of recalibrate and take control of the situation. So then I can step back into the performance arena by being nice.
0: (laughs) And I mean, you have all these outlets. So, and one of them is boxing, which I know you're like, love boxing. You're big proponent of that. What is kind of the dynamic between kind of your self right the way you identify yourself is like uh, a peaceful harmonious person in boxing like how do those two things come together
1: i wish my trainer were here because he could explain it so much better than me because he's always telling me like the best fighters are not aggressive you can't he said they're the, the best fighters aren't brawlers it's actually called the sweet science so you have to really understand angles and weight distribution and being grounded and choosing your punches and being patient because i get out there my problem is my breathing so i either hold my breath the whole time <laughs> or i over breathe and i really uh. that's how i was it when i was a lawyer i was either holding my breath or bracing for someone to throw a you know a proverbial punch at me or i was hyperventilating all the time. And so boxing has really taught me to notice when I'm doing one of those two things. And then Lou, my trainer will say, you know, basically, go to your corner and work it out. So for me, I have to work it out mentally, because he can't do that for me. But but what he's really taught me is that boxing does not have to be about aggression. It's actually, I, I love that it's called the sweet science, because real, real students of boxing have to learn to be patient and calm and Choose, choose your punches, read, read your opponent. He's always telling me, you can't just go in there. Um, well, actually, Mike Tyson has the best quote. He says, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and so you can have a plan to go in there and take control, but really what you need to do is take a step back and observe the mistakes that your opponent is making or, the, or what their rhythm and pattern is, so then you can sort of take control of the situation. But it doesn't have to be aggressive and mean and violent at all.
0: And, and it's strange boxing is almost like a uh, cooperative in some ways
1: yeah it's it's like a dance my trainer yeah. says
0: yeah i mean there's an analogy there for the law i think but um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that might be too on that might be too on the nose um
1: what i like also about boxing is that the boxing community at least in my experience i've been i've been doing it like five five six years now and the community it, it first of all it draws people from all different types of backgrounds and communities and everybody calls each other champ even if you've never had a real fight before
0: <laughs> i
1: love that like everybody you know hey champ You're
0: champ. You're good a-
1: job, champ i just think that's so great
0: what if we what if we showed up at <laughs> in law school and everyone, we just called everyone champ.
1: I'm going to do that at my next faculty meeting. Just start calling everyone (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm sure the tenured, tenured professors (laughs) would love that, being called champ. Okay, champ. Um, But no, it's, it's, it's even comes from, I think, you know, why you gravitate towards this. And it's just my, I guess, opinion is probably from the positive psychology standpoint of framing, right? Um, And I think, kind of positivity gets vilified, right? You can't, it's almost like this idea, like you can't be positive and be in the legal profession. You must be jaded, uh, and the second you're positive, you're either weak, you are being fleeced, you've missed something, um, and so, or you're just too hopeful. Right. Um, in So can you kind of, speak to, in your experience, like this hope dynamic. like I, I
1: love that you just asked me this question because I was literally just at a conference where there was a little bit of tension or conflict between people who are kind of into this positive psychology arena and people who don't really understand it or, or are, are resistant to it and we were trying to explain you know positive psychology is not happyology it's not about Mm. and that's a quote from somebody else but it's it's not about hedonic well-being like being feeling good all the time it's actually about you know Mm. the greek there's a greek word eudaimonia the eu is greek for good and it's about functioning well functioning Mm. well even when you know you're gonna have problems and have stressors and have adversity Mm. which is basically like what the boxing is teaching me it's how to how to function well, even when my body is freaking out that I'm stressed or I'm, I can't breathe or my face is red or there's someone coming at me. It's, we have, what I think positive psychology does is gives us tools to help us function well in real life, not when we're in crisis to begin with, but it's, there's a, this all, oh, I love this. There's this cool term. This isn't necessarily a positive psych term, but it's um, a sports term and also the medical profession uses it, prehabilitation. So not rehabilitation where we're looking backwards, mm. but prehabilitation where we, we're we fine right now, but we know something, we're going to encounter something in lawyering or in at work or in our relationships or whatever that's hard and stressful. So instead of waiting until that moment happens, we can prehabilitate. And what the sports people do is they, they strengthen muscles around vulnerable joints that they know are going to get overused or overtaxed and so they get ahead of it and don't just wait until the crisis happens that's what i think of positive psychology it's kind of figuring out where we are today and 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 focusing on what what works and what our strengths are but also how can we use those strengths to build ourselves up so when we do encounter the inevitable tough days we we can ride it out and not not completely fall apart
0: yeah and someone someone just asked me this question in the linkedin live event i did it's basically how do you operationalize having a bad day and (laughs) and it was such a great question it really stumped me because it's like you know it's kind of along the the lines of this is even like you know I think we as attorneys are always planning almost always, not all of us and not always, but there's a habit of worst case scenario uh, and catastrophizing. And we almost don't plan for best case scenario or best outcome or what happens if you have a really happy client or opposing counsel is actually really easy to work with. And, in my experience i mean it's more often than not that experience the the minority of the time is when you're dealing with something that's really difficult mm-hmm. it's it, but it it's not really perceived that way or we don't react that way and we i like this idea of kind of this rehabilitation of taking even the time when maybe you're even having uh, a good time or you're doing well in building more wellness capacity um, and building up that kind of piggy bank, so to speak, of wellness for when the bad day is going to come. It's going to happen.
1: Completely. I'm smiling because this is so spot on so i I have this bad habit of when things are going great i'm so worried about when the next terrible thing (laughs) happens and what i had to do was reframe that and instead you know there's another positive psychology term savoring i mean how instead of worrying about the good day ending and the terrible day coming Mm -hmm. we gotta first of all stop and savor and linger with the the good day. And and that's also when we notice the the pillars to use that term again are working and and to pay attention to what you did on the good day that worked. And to me that's the prehabilitation. So that's when for instance I was noticing, oh, I'm so happy when I'm writing and I hit I hit that state of flow. You know that yes. psychologist uh, it's, it's me Holly cheek sent me high, who wrote that book flow. And he describes a state in which you kind of lose all sense of time and place, and that's what happens to me when I write. I I can. <laughs> you
0: know, in in uh, in Zen, it's called touching the earth.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And when I come out of flow from writing, like my hair is a mess, I look like Medusa, <laughs> like my face is red,
0: <laughs> but it's exhilarating.
1: And and so it's the good days that I think we can figure out what our well-being pillars are, and then as part of prehabilitation you know build those practices into our life so then when we do hit the days that you described that are you know less fun that are bad days we're prepared and also i used to worry and catastrophize i'm a world-class catastrophizer but i used to worry that the bad days were going to stay forever but what i started noticing i journal a lot and so the journaling helps me keep track of oh well this is just information like the bad day is really just more information about how maybe I got derailed from my well-being pillars, or maybe I didn't write in my journal that morning, or I skipped my workout for a few days, or like the pandemic, you know, can't travel, and how that's information that's that's causing me angst or anxiety, but but then there's things you can do about it. Of course, we can't control how other people act, but but that's also a big lesson too
0: I mean, that's a huge that's lesson that's huge. The, that's one of the the lessons, the lessons. Um, the lesson.
1: yeah i mean i always assume kind of based on my upbringing <laughs> that that if someone is is uh, criticizing me that they're right <laughs> uh, and so i've had to opinion,
0: learn, opinion opinion is fact
1: opinion is fact yeah. and, you know
0: and and that's i think even um you know, from a legal perspective, when people are thinking of like evidence or depositions or what people say, like that's all so subjective, but, and we, we kind of cherry pick the things that confirm our own bias, right. About ourselves, about a situation, about a case. Um, and it's all confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Well, of course we always gravitate towards the things you know, that are gonna confirm the way we feel or think about a situation, ourselves, a relationship, you know, I suck at public speaking. So I'm gonna go find everything I find about public speaking that I, that I am bad at, and that is me. Um, instead of kind of this idea of allowing things to flow, right? Like, you know, and there's impermanence in that. There's your identity is not even permanent. One day you're a writer. One day you're a boxer. One day you're a poet. One day you're a traveler. One day you're a college uh, law school professor. You know, one day I'm a potter. One day I'm a parent, you know, and it's all of these things begin and end constantly. That means they never really begin and they never really end. And, you know, it's, um, we, we really Create a lot of suffering in this process of, you know, the good days will die, as opposed to just experiencing that day, right? That moment and allowing the process to go and be impermanent, because that's what even allows the bad days to move on, or the bad experience to move on, or the bad feeling to move on. If we held on to everything, we would not be alive. Would be we'd be granite, um, and so it's kind of even this idea of um, like something that you've brought up, is, and another thing I've really been thinking about is really not tethering your identity to one of these pillars, um, and being okay with the fact that all of these pillars serve you. And at some point, one of these might die and you might have to find another pillar. So have in this process of finding pillars, have you dabbled in like, maybe this is the pillar, another pillar, or maybe this isn't the right pillar. So kind of talk about that process of like, you know, have you experimented with other pillars and it's just not worked?
1: Well, I've been freaking out that my favorite band U2 might might not tour again after <laughs> that.
0: It's a very real thing. That's totally out that of was, your control. That would be a
1: problem. To yeah. going to shows being one of my pillars, but hopefully, I mean, they're so creative and constantly reinvent themselves that hopefully they'll be around forever, and that will not be a problem. But, but what, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come back to your question about have I dabbled in other pillars because I want to think about that. But but everything that you just said about flow and impermanence it brings up this thing i've been trying really hard to research and investigate and study about myself and that's i i have i've read a lot of books about attachment theory in relationships and i have extreme anxious attachment <laughs> that's my style so there's anxious there's avoidant and there's secure i have anxious so i have this clinging mentality and i think that happens for me in relationships it happens for me in the what you were just describing like the good days i want to travel experiences i find myself before i've even gotten on the plane to go home yet i'm already depressed that the trip is over because i'm (laughs) clinging so i've Mm. been reading a lot about you know healthy detachment which i think is really what you were just talking about and it's not grasping or tethering to use your word too tightly onto people or experiences or great wins or achievements i mean i think we do need to give ourselves credit for the good stuff that does happen but and savor it for a little while but then let it go uh which is which is hard it's really hard um although that also is part of a uh, u2 song so i think Uh, we're we're coming full circle let it go
0: (laughs) i mean it's a u2 theme or maybe it just adapts i mean. You two, da- uh, Bono's daughter is an actress. You just shift yes. it. You uh-huh. just go watch. Think she's in. It's 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 Bono adjacent. So, um, or <laughs> well, maybe they'll also, be. Maybe maybe they'll become holograms and they'll tour like uh, you know a hologram. You never know.
1: He he just wrote an amazing memoir, his, his autobiography. That is such a beautiful piece of writing, and it's I think it's like a master class in personal <laughs> narrative. And he did a book tour last year, so I think they'll continue to reinvent themselves. I, I think I, I don't want anyone to quote me saying "You Two's never gonna tour again." I think. They <laughs> don't worry,
0: that won't 22. be that won't be the quote of the podcast. <laughs> Heidi Brown, You 2s never gonna tour again. No, I'm <laughs> sad.
1: Oh my gosh! Um,
0: no, look, I'm literally
1: yeah. going to see them again next weekend. So,
0: <laughs> look, how many times have you seen You Two?
1: I th- I've stopped counting, but I think it's about thirty-five so far. Yeah.
0: That's that's impressive. Um, have you read Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet?
1: I have not read Bittersweet. Oh, my gosh. it's about grief, right? It's about grief. Oh,
0: my gosh. And like the bittersweet moments. Oh. Well, you would absolutely love it. It's um, on my
1: list because her book, Quiet, changed my entire life. So the um, book, Bittersweet, has been on my list. And yeah. I just need to get to it.
0: Um, so that means I will send it to you.
1: Um, okay. Oh, so cool.
0: you will get my copy. We'll come to you next <laughs> and you'll read, you'll pass it on. This will be like
1: love a that. chain,
0: but her, yes. the, yeah. One of the things she brings up there is kind of this, this idea of the melancholic and, um, you know, me, like I love listening to like Bonnie Bear. I like listening to like sad music. Mm. I like, I like listening to like, I, It's crazy to think like even certain things like Linkin Park, like some of their songs are actually very sad. Um, And there's some amount of like beauty to this captured human sadness that there's a group of us that almost longs for that. and, And appreciates the kind of yearning and how it tugs at your heartstrings and how there's it's like an identif uh kind of an acknowledgement um that things can be sad and, and and things can you know the leaves on the trees can turn colors um and the seasons can change um and so i've really been even focusing on now with like the legal practice of how can you navigate when you realize that the way in which you've been practicing law and achieve success no longer serves you and it's time to let that go. And you've done this Um, and you probably look back, I'd imagine even though it's hard fondly, right? There's some amount of nostalgia of the person that you were and the person you are now, and the person you thought you might become, and all, how all these things interplay. And so I guess the question is, you know, you've now navigated this, and navigating kind of this kaleidoscope of identity, and what drove you? Or, or was it a driven thing, a, a choice, a life event what kind of propelled you forward in your own narrative
1: wow i love these questions can i mention first the so you mentioned the the word yearning in in my travel book i i did a trip to portugal in which i did like a a camino i did the camino del santiago which is like a spiritual pilgrimage i didn't do for spiritual purposes but i did it you know, you got a backpack, et cetera. And there's a word in Portuguese, I think it's saudade, S-A-U-D-A-D-E, that means like this melancholy, um, wistfulness. I love the word wistful because when I'm on my trips, I am just the queen of wistfulness. I just want it to not, I have this yearning and I want it to keep going. And, but it's, but it's also, because you mentioned there's a melancholy, there's a nostalgia, but I also think there's a piece of, of joy in it or mm. zest or something, too. So I, when I'm feeling It well, allows you to
0: feel alive.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. That's yeah. it. So even, because you mentioned sadness, even, and when I'm at the concert sometimes, I'm like crying because the songs mm. are so overwhelmingly like full of, and uh, rich, full of sadness and, and heartbreak and hope and there's just so much packed in that it's hard not to get completely emotional about it um all my friends roll their eyes at me when i talk about it like this so i appreciate that you're not doing that
0: um this is i this is i am don't worry i went to an attorney (laughs) conference in duluth minnesota and as i'm driving over the crest to see the expanse of lake superior i mean it is so expansive i cried
1: it's, it's amazing. Those <laughs> moments, those moments are what makes li- make life worth it. Yep. And to answer your question about the, what drove me, I mean, I've, I've changed careers, career, uh, roles a lot. I worked for three different law firms. I've worked for three different law schools. I've reinvented myself as a writer which i love it, and i also find it completely ironic that the girl the introverted girl with extreme public speaking anxiety now basically like runs around the world doing public speaking
0: Which <laughs> I,
1: well, I, mean, I, I still yeah. get nervous and everything but the i've i've had some i was in a 12-year relationship from the time i was 18 to 30 that ended when i turned 30 and it and it was a mess and it was awful and it was it was the ending was a mess and awful. Um, the relationship was not awful. It was just we were so young when we met, and when that relationship fell apart, which a lot of it was my fault, um, I thought I was going to die. I I did not know how to function in the world because everything changed. And then, and I moved to New York from D.C. and and got a job in the World Trade Center. Actually, I had to switch law firms. And I, I wasn't functioning very well. So I took a leave of absence and then 9-11 happened. And I, I wasn't in the building that day. And I was actually on a different plane. I was on a, one of the planes that got diverted to Gander, Newfoundland in Canada. And I would say those two events in my life, my, my really traumatic divorce and layered with 9-11 on top of that was the, a huge turning point in my life because I started to write. It was the only way I figured out how to cope with everything. I, I mean, I always loved writing. I was love legal writing at the first law firm, but I think I was always afraid of journaling for fear that people would read it or, or I would come across no, as a terrible person. No, you
0: would discover something about them yourself that yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to know.
1: Probably. <laughs> but, but when I went through all that trauma, because I do think both of those events were very traumatic, as they would be for you know everybody sure. who was affected by 9/11. Obviously it was traumatic, um, and I think I felt a little bit of survivor's guilt because I wasn't at the law firm that day and I wasn't and I was on a different plane. And I had I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and then I you know I got had to get another job, etc. Um, so I kept pushing myself forward in the path of law that I thought I was supposed to do, but starting to feel this introvert. Rebel in me, resisting that path. I I was tired of working for people that weren't that nice. Um, I worked for some really tough personalities, and it affected me. And then I got the opportunity to teach, and I also I was so clueless when I started teaching. I didn't understand the hierarchy of legal academia at all, and I I was like, well, I want to. I want to write some stuff. So I'm gonna start writing not about these these sophisticated topics like you know, constitutional theory, but I'm like, I wanna write about introversion. <laughs> I wanna write about public speaking anxiety. And yeah. and I did. And and then it just kept leading me toward figuring out myself and and which is obviously an ongoing project, but it, it's helped me understand the type of of teacher I want to be the type of uh, mentor I want to be type of friend I want to be all of that type of fighter. I want to be in in the boxing ring. I mean, yeah. And
0: and just how, and just how to be. And how to be. You ended all those be. Yes. Which has nothing to do with uh, really what you do, but who you are. Yeah. And, you know, as an introvert, um, me included, and I, I've told you this before, people, people don't believe this when I'm like, no, like I am, and this is who I am, is that, and I love in your book how you, ta- how you talk about um, kind of this idea that um, introverts, um, you know, f- like doing the things that they believe in. You know, and and if someone's asking him to do something that just feels like this I don't believe in this, it's disingenuous. Um, and I don't want to do that. And people can think that like you're being um like avoidant or you are not being a team player, and it's like so I always felt growing up that it's like group projects sucked. Like <laughs> I was a horrible in a group project. Um, I was like, I don't like this at all, It's was totally unsupported. Um and even this idea of like social anxiety, you know, um, I then because I was introverted, would then like act out. And it's not because I liked attention. I actually hated attention. And so it's these these kind of um, different ways of when you spend time just being introspective Mm -hmm. and kind of looking back in order to inform yourself to move forward, that you realize that um, a lot of the systems that we are asked to navigate are not designed for most of the people who are expected to navigate them um, and what I mean by that is even not even just people who are introverted but people that are neurodivergent ADHD all these different ways of being um, there it's such a a fabric um, you know it's like a quilt the different ways to being and so when it comes to kind of being an attorney, um, and the question I ask is, you know, what do you think it means to be a newfangled lawyer?
1: Mm. Building on what you just said, I, I think it means to be self-aware and have, and, and doing this work to discover ourselves. I mean, even Socrates said, know thyself. So... <laughs> If Socrates is telling us, know thyself, (laughs) learning about the stuff that we were just saying about introversion, the difference between introverts and extroverts, but also the differences among introversion, shyness and social anxiety, which Mm. are different. You can be a completely confident introvert um, and shyness and social anxiety is the fear of judgment piece. But I think arming ourselves, being a newfangled lawyer is openly talking about this stuff, arming ourselves with like the language and vocabulary around how we can do our best work. Because I, I love what you were pointing out. You know, This is not about making us avoid work. This is not about sometimes people push back gently or not so gently <laughs> against my, some of the stuff I talk about saying, well, this is a rigorous profession. Are you trying to reduce the rigor of the profession? I'm absolutely not. I actually think with this, a newfangled lawyer being more self-aware and having language and vocabulary around strengths, there's like great, I love the the VIA character strengths assessment because it it's the VIA, it's called the values in action inventory on strengths because it gives you language about what your top five signature strengths are. If it, If we have language around why introverts mm-hmm. like certain environmental circumstances and don't like others, to me that's how we can communicate about how we can perform our best work how we can get into flow and generate amazing writing or, or mm. your step into the courtroom and be completely mm. awesome instead of for me like a blushing sweating mess um, <laughs> But it's until we do this work we don't know those things and we also don't know how to communicate communicate them to colleagues to our clients or to just mm. uh, supervisors So I think a newfangled lawyer is one who is is not afraid to get a little touchy feely (laughs) and become self-aware and then engage in conversations with others in our profession around how we can all up our game performance wise by by understanding what tasks and activities we really enjoy and thrive and flourish doing and the things that maybe we have to do, but we don't enjoy so much but how we can maybe change the environmental circumstances around when we do those tasks like i like working i can't write in my office i have to write at home but i'm sure right now because i'm at home people at my office are like where's heidi (laughs) 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 i need to be better at communicating hey i'm working i really am Mm -hmm. working more work at home, but on my days that I'm in the office, those are going to be my meeting days. And so we can learn how to structure our work, our work dynamics, our interactions with others around this enhanced self-awareness. That would be my ideal goal for our profession.
0: <laughs> it's amazing. How do you and I can talk all day. I this know. Is, it's
1: this is fun. This
0: is so this is so easy. Um i feel like you've
1: given me homework too you've given me i need to find one more well-being pillar Well, not for when when my band retires because they're not going to retire till they're like a hundred but when i'll I'll think of another well-being pillar to throw in the mix
0: (laughs) i i mean i never given anyone a requirement to do anything (laughs) um but i'm all about being supportive so i really I I love this conversation because I think there's a lot that can be done, too, of just acknowledging, you know, how much work is done from the introspective person that you don't see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, a lot of what I do um, is productive that doesn't have anything to show for it. Hmm and i think as attorneys it's like well what do you have to show for it what what work product do you have you know or this idea of being busy i hate being called busy it's like an insult i'm like don't call me busy (laughs) like i'm being productive and sometimes my most productive time is when i give myself the opportunity to just exist I'm not performing anything i'm not trying to achieve anything i'm not trying to create anything i am just existing um and free from any external stimulus no cell phone no nothing i am just here um so it's i, I love this idea that you know To be a newfangled lawyer is about kind of understanding yourself. And to do that, you need to spend time with yourself. Um, free from anything else. Even the extroverts could use the opportunity to just sit still. I I think it's funny when some people are like, you know, um, meditation, Well, I can't sit still. It's like, well, meditation can be like, you know, when you're doing the dishes. It can be when you're walking your dog. Like you don't have to just have mindfulness when being still. It's about stillness of mind, not stillness of just completely your body. And this idea that you brought up of kind of this interplay between kind of your physical self and your your mind and how your mind can create these physical manifestations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going around. One of the things that I really care about is integrating that. Much like you, we we are not separate from our thoughts. <laughs> like yeah, like this idea that like mental health is and well being is like this other thing. It's so strange to me. Your brain's the most powerful part of your entire physical body. Right. Um, and we need to spend just more time letting it rest. Um, so.
1: Oh, I, I love this. And you're making me think of two other things I just want to okay. throw in the for That's
0: people. Fine. Yeah, fine. So
1: I'm obsessed with this concept designed or coined by a, a Russian sports psychologist named Yuri Hannon. And he he created this concept or coined this concept called eyes off, the individual zone of optimal functioning. Mm. And, and he applied it to athletes. And he was looking at athletes. This is in the 1960s and 70s. And he figured out that in every individual athlete has their own zone of optimal functioning. Like, and, and it's kind of what you were, he was looking at emotions like positive and negative emotions, that some really intense positive and negative emotions can put a particular athlete in the right zone for peak performance. Whereas those same emotions can completely derail another athlete. And they like a different combination of emotions. So I think the newfangled lawyer I would love for all of us to do what you just described and kind of investigate and experiment with what, what are the things that we can do? Is sitting still or, or going on a walk or painting a picture or, you know, building in those times into our days or, or once a week, you know, on the weekends, is that going to help toggle us into our optimal zone? Or are there certain things that we're doing that are bumping us out of our optimal zone? And that's going to be different for all of us. And, and then there's another... Awesome book by this guy John Rady, R-A-T-E-Y. He wrote a book with a with um, I think Eric Hagerman. Uh, the book is called Spark, and it's what you just described. It's about how our bodies and our brains they're not separate. I mean, the, first of all, obviously the brain is part of our physical body, but our physical movement like walking or yoga or or exercise or for me boxing, whatever it doesn't have to be as intense as boxing. Of course, um, it can it it enhances our cognition. And so if, if we as lawyers are neglecting our physical bodies, it's, it's having a detrimental effect on our, our thinking and our thinking is our bread and butter. So I think putting it all together, I mean, Dr. Hannon's research on how emotions affect our performance, affect our body's performance, how our bodies affect our brains. I mean, it's all interconnected. And as lawyers, we're never taught this stuff. and And so I think the newfangled lawyer will take some time to <laughs> let's hope so Kate. About these things <laughs> let's,
0: let's hope so when i start teaching the newfangled lawyer at law schools um if if and when they let me close to the law students um, <laughs> this will be one of the main takeaways but how i love this so much thank you so much for you. your presence um and your voice and all this it's just beautiful so Uh, Thank Thank you you so much for being on the podcast. And this is the point where I just say I'm going to hit stop recording. (laughs) And I don't edit it out because this is all (laughs) raw.
1: Well, just so you know, you can come talk to my students anytime.
0: Okay, awesome.